Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome guys. Welcome to Good Spirit Normal. I'm here. This is Adam, all by my lonesome. But uh, never fear, because uh, we've got uh, someone here with us tonight, and we're going to talk about an interesting subject. But uh, this person that I have with me, Heather, Hi. is a really good friend, and uh, oh. she has not been on Conspiracy Normal for a good minute. It's been a while, and. Uh, Heather is probably like the first ever fan of Conspiracy Normal because <laughs> she and I used to work together way back in the day. And whenever I started this way back in 2012, I um she was one of the first she was the first person to ever really listen. Well, so, you know, me and, and Joe and uh I guess it was me and Joe. Yeah, so we, we're battling it out for top fan for you know oldest fan <laughs> yeah something something like that something like that <laughs> but we're going to talk about a subject tonight um one that i'm really uh, excited about digging into and this is a book that heather uh you and i were at aroma g's here in nashville and i'm not uh ashamed to give them any kind of a plug no they're but, great uh, yeah um and uh, I found a book, you you found a book called When God Was a Woman. I'll hold it up for nobody but you. Um, <laughs> that's by an author named Merlin Stone. And uh, this is a book about, well, called The Landmark Exploration of the Ancient Worship of the Great Goddess and the Eventual Suppression of Women's Rights. And rights is spelled R-I-T-E-S. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, I read this book back when I, after I had a break after a strange realities conference and, mm -hmm. uh, it's a very good book. And I know this is one that you read as well. And I was thinking mm -hmm. about having, who could have, you know, of course can't talk to Merlin stone cause Merlin stone passed away in 2011. Uh, I found out. And so I thought that uh we get you on we talk about talk about this and there was a well, couple of documentaries one of which actually had merlin stone in it that mm -hmm. that we watched but uh uh we'll we'll talk about that too so i guess the first question is is this book was published in believe in 1976 mm -hmm. and just kind of just talk well, I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of like the context that this book came out in. All right. And maybe good. you can explain uh, for the listeners that don't know about the second wave of feminism, I think is when this, 
was the part of the era this came this was part of if i'm correct about that yes i I mean i I mean i'm not a um well i consider myself a feminist um i'm not an expert on all the uh historical timeline of feminism but yeah this this would be considered i think a second wave feminism book first wave of course being the women's suffrage movement you know to get the vote um but that only really affected white women and it only really got them the vote and a couple of other like minor um, rights. Um, But it wasn't until like the sixties, like the 1960s around that time period when second wave feminism arose, Um, you know, this was during the civil rights movement. There was a little bit more, um, bringing in women of color and trying to address their needs, but it still was not where it needed to be. Uh, it's not until like third wave feminism during the, like the nineties that you see any real attention um, and real traction made for intersectionality, which is a term actually that was coined by, Oh Lord, forgive me. I cannot remember her name, uh, but it, 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 it means, um, it means how like different um, socioeconomic, racial, um, age, a, a lot of things play into how you're treated. And so feminism as a, or like sexism, I mean, sexism against someone who is a white woman will look a whole lot different from someone who is, say, a black woman or an Asian woman or a Native American woman. So therefore, when we're talking about feminism, it's important to keep all of these things in mind uh, so we can really address larger issues and not just make white women's lives easier. <laughs> so um, we are now living in what would be considered fourth wave feminism, uh, which started around like the late 90s, early 2000s, um, and is still going on. Though some say that we should now be moving into a fifth wave feminism. I don't know anything about that. So I'm not even going to try to talk gotcha. to that. Gotcha. Uh, other people could probably tell you about that better, but it's my understanding we're still in fourth wave feminism, uh, which is the you know the hallmarks of that are like uh, grassroots kind of movements through internet, social media, uh, like the Me Too movement, like hashtag Me Too, that kind of stuff, um, and is more focused on <clears throat> kind of broadening that intersectionality to include like LGBTQ plus um, as also you know and and obviously as a part of that trans um feminism um you know this is where you might stumble upon terms like turfs uh which is trans exclusionary radical feminism which is those turfs are people who would say i'm a feminist and uh trans people uh have you know are, like a trans woman is not a woman uh which bt dubs uh, i'm not a turf so if you're if you say you're a woman, if you think you're a woman, then I believe you're a woman. That's that's how I roll. Um, so um, those are kinds of issues that would come up during like fourth wave feminism. Uh, but this book was written during like the the second wave feminism era. So um, the documentary that you spoke of, you can kind of see it is mostly white women's voices. It is mostly um european centric mostly western cultures that it's dealing with which is not 
at all like the book. The, the book, When God Was a Woman, uh, Merlin Stone does a very good job of covering several different types of cultures from all over the globe um, and really hitting on um, <clears throat> a variety of gods and goddesses in her work. Um, the documentary you spoke of, uh, what is it? Uh, not Recovering the Goddess. What was the name of it's that documentary? God Goddess Remembered. Goddess Remembered, yeah. yeah like yeah. it has Marlon Stone in it. Um, and Barbara Ehrenreich too, I think. But like uh yeah. no, it, it does not do a good job of representing several different cultures. So one wonders how much actual control Merlin Stone had over you know the production of that documentary. So um but in any event, that's that is uh a very short and dirty history of different waves of feminism. <laughs> Somebody else could probably tell it a whole lot better than I can, but that's, that's yeah. the short version. Yeah. It seemed like the documentary and I mean, we can, we can go more into this if, if you want, I, I really, I think I found that by typing in Merlin stone and trying to see if there was anything or any interviews with her or, or, or what, whenever I was reading the book, um it was oh real quick kimberly yeah. crenshaw okay that yeah. is the woman who right. turned the who who came up with the term intersectionality gotcha. uh, it was bugging me it was bugging me so i looked it up anyway <laughs> go <ahead. laughs> gotcha I, I actually ran across some of that today just kind of looking at looking into this and these terms um that you were talking about but um yeah the the, the documentary i mean it's 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 kind of dated, I would say, because I think mm -hmm, it was probably mm -hmm. made in the late 80s, maybe even the really early 90s. Yeah, like and, the second part came out in 1990. So I don't know when the other parts yeah, came out, yeah. but I know that one. Yeah, the second part was called The Burning Time, which was about the witchcraft oh. and, the, and the witch uh, the witch um, hunts. And we could talk a little bit about that too, but... Um, if we have to. <laughs> if we have to yeah yeah do we get your opinionated opinion um, i'm always willing to give my opinion adam <laughs> the, I, I understand the um but the documentary was a little frustrating in kind of the way yeah. that it was structured because you know I, I was trying to figure out who was merlin stone and there's at a certain point where she is talking about it and you figure out okay well you know that she's describing the book but they don't tell you who any of these these people are that are sitting around this table and talking to each other until the very end of the documentary. And then it's uh and only then do you know. So, you know, it's it's kind of it's 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 a little it's a little dated, I think, like you said, but and I don't think it went as in depth no, um, as the book definitely does. So I thought I, I I thought I was kind of expecting it to be more of a documentary about the book, mm -mm. but it really, it but it really wasn't. Yeah. This was something that was made, I think by the national film board of Canada. And I think it's like a three part, three part series that was made yeah. in the late eighties. Like the music 90s. is really hokey and <laughs> the narration is super hokey. It's got this really breathy woman <laughs> narrating. Um, yes. Yeah. It like, does. so the documentary, I, I got the feeling from it that it was um, the audience that they were intending that for was for 
like tired moms watching PBS uh, mm -hmm. is kind of the feeling I got. Um, it, it, what would now appear on the History Channel? Um, not to diss the History Channel too much. I enjoy it just as much as the next person. But uh, when, when it's not ancient aliens? When is it not ancient aliens? <laughs> It's true. <laughs> oh, it's not ancient aliens when it's about World War II. <laughs> it used to be the Hitler Channel. Now it's the it ancient aliens. The, the ancient yeah. aliens channel. Yeah. So a lot of like research tends to kind of trickle down into these kind of documentaries um, where it's meant for bite-sized pieces for people to just kind of like whet their appetite, I guess. Uh, and this would definitely fall under that, in my opinion. I, 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 it it's so far removed from the actual scholarship of Merlin Stone's book that I wouldn't even consider mm -hmm. them related personally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, what did you think about the second documentary, the burning, the burning time? <sighs> okay. We're kind of going so, far afield here, but that's fine. <laughs> so the burning times uh, is in, in reference to the witch trials. Now they, they seem to focus more on the European versus the continental like the, i mean versus like uh like the not the american witch trials like salem witch trials but like the european yeah. witch trial right uh, which spanned a much larger time period and much earlier like by the time america was hitting on the salem witch trials like europe had already figured that shit out i mean excuse me that stuff out and they weren't into that anymore like they were kind of like petered out they finally finished like, I guess we've killed enough women now. <laughs> like, I guess we're done. Um, <clears throat> so uh, you don't see like Cotton Mather, or not Cotton, uh, Increase Mather and, and that team early on the scene until after Europe kind of finished that up like 50 years prior. Um, and the, the witch trials in Europe lasted, uh, shoot, from like, I want to say 1600s to 1700s, maybe longer. It was it longer? I think it was like two hundred years. It, so was it was something. Like it was something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but they had finished up, um, and then fifty years later, the American ones kind of started up and really hit the scene. Now, it's important to note that historically, uh, the witch trials were a political tool, um, but the documentary is really focusing on this theory that it was a tool to exterminate um, a large portion of women. So um, I, while I think that's a, a fine theory to start from, if you don't know a lot about the history of the witch trials, um, any real digging into the records, I think would, would show that, like the scholarship now shows that it, it, it wasn't specifically just to kill women or to kill women who happen to be practicing medicine like like the book uh by barbara ehrenreich and i forget the other author they wrote like witches nurses and midwives which is an excellent read it's very quick you could read it in like an afternoon uh, mm -hmm. they go into this a little bit but it was more focused on the american witch trials but it it also kind of pulls on that same kind of thread where um the witch trials were a way to get rid of women medical practitioners but scholarship now shows that that's not really the case um at least in the case of america's like a lot of those witch trials were to gain the land these people were living on and it wasn't all women right. it's, a lot of right. them were men 
they were mm-hmm. trying the people in power in townships and stuff were just trying to get a hold of this property because once the person is proven to be a witch their land is up for grabs so um the court would then seize it um <clears throat> so in uh europe the witch trials were more about uh at least in the beginning it was used as a tool to oust people from power uh you could just claim that they were a witch um and the torture element of it didn't come until later uh that you know the whole inquisition angle um and then uh especially by the time uh the witch's hammer gets written which i can never remember the latin for that please forgive me it's like maleficum malleus maleficum malleus maleficarum okay i was close yeah um but yeah when witch's hammer comes out like that's it's 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 a real big deal you know you have all these people all across uh europe places like you got these people out in germany getting the same kind of answers from women under you know torture questioning that are giving the same kind of answers as the women who are being tortured for answers out in france how can that be why would they be giving the same kinds of answers well that's because the people who are doing the torturing were all using the same book they were all using the same guidebook right uh, right. on how to question these people uh these these women and men who were being accused of witchcraft so um so the killing times documentary it seems to be really just focused on um talking about what that was like um some of the writings that were coming out during that time period but it also is making a point to draw a direct line from this is a really horrible historical thing that happened and it was because um the church was trying to kill off people who worshiped the old gods and the old ways when scholarship doesn't really show that to be true as a conclusion um at least in my opinion and most scholars opinion i think um at this point in time okay yeah it was yeah it was interesting they did uh, bring in some of the property uh stuff into that but yeah they did touch yeah, on it. it was very it was very much focused on the idea that you know you're killing the folk practitioners which were mostly women yeah. But then also it was kind of like they said, I don't know how true this is, that this was really like kind of the end of the folk ways and that that had to go more underground. I don't know about that. I feel like that could have that that would have happened much earlier than those two centuries. I don't I mean, you, you think about opinion. the Inquisition, right? You, you, you think about the Inquisition that was going on. Yeah, it, it it's not a wild supposition to say, hey. If I'm over here talking about some sort of like fey folk and wild magic and like old old gods and goddesses, I might get unalived by the church. <laughs> it that's not that's hard of a leap. Like that that makes sense. Like it would make sense that then these old folk practices would go out of use or at least go underground or, or be re relabeled as Christian practices because you don't want to get killed by the inquisition. Like that's, yeah. that makes perfect sense. But I don't know that that was the reasoning behind, you know, the inquisition and the, the, the witch killings. Like I just, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily why those things took place. By those right. who orchestrated them i think it was just 
I think it was power run amok. Um, yeah. I'd say very much so. Well, let's get into this book, uh, When God Was a Woman. Let's do um, it. So, all right. So we'll start kind of how how she starts, Merlin Stone. And she talks about um, the idea that in ancient times, and we're really talking about prehistory, that there was this <laughs> really ancient, really kind of primeval, really goddess religion. And that there was much more of these societies saw much more of an importance to, towards women, and that there really, in a lot of ways, seemed to be um, an equalization of the burden of life between men and women. Yeah, I mean that's not that's not hard to like really imagine, even if you don't see all of this great archaeological evidence that Berlin Stone shows, right? Like if you think about it you're in prehistory right you don't understand a thing about how biology works but you do see that women bleed and make babies and you in those times they didn't necessarily have a concept for oh babies also come from a man and his member and his sperm like because they hadn't made that connection yet entirely you have the woman figure who makes humans and humans come from women, period, end of statement. So the idea of a divine figure from which all things come, it, it, it would make sense that it would be a female deity. And like Merlin Stone lays out all this really great archeological evidence that, that she found through scholarly work, um, that shows that many, many, many cultures, um, in fact, had a female deity as not only um, a, a very important deity, but usually the most important deity in their pantheon. Um, it wasn't until later that <clears throat> once people started making a connection of, oh, the baby only happens if we do the whoopsie. <laughs> so <laughs> once the, that connection is made, things start do do start to change a little bit. Of course, Merlin lays out that it's um, seems to coincide more with like the female deity becomes replaced when you know these invading people from like north of the Caucasus mountains start coming, like the Indo-Europeans start coming down into these regions with their, with their male God. Um, and of course, I don't know how soon you want to get into that. We can jump right into it right away. Or you want to talk some more about this female deity. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about, yeah, this, the, the, the concept of the mother goddess and uh, this type of thing. And, and I mean, you've got a lot of, um, she has some pictures in the book, but of course, you know, some of the most famous, you know, like was it the, the, the Venuses, mm -hmm. uh, the, or they're called Venuses, but you know, they're right. these ancient uh, figurines that, you know, uh, was it the, yeah, the Venus of Willendorf. That's probably the most famous one that mm -hmm. people usually see. And you'll see amulets and stuff like that, mm -hmm. um, that, that that is around so like this concept of the mother goddess and 
uh we we did you did make the connection to fertility yeah and there's also like you know these 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 like and they said in that one in in that first documentary and i've seen this before too like these caves that are like have the kind of the shape to them the, the entrance to the caves mm -hmm. yeah I, th that's something that i uh, is, is that something that is that is generally accepted or is that is that more I, do they I think that that has something to do with the that. goddess so yeah i see a lot of writing about that i mean you've you've yeah. got um the mother earth kind of idea um also important to note um a lot of these female deities were also associated with mountains um, so you have um, the cave network underneath the mountains. Uh, I mean, you think about it, you're a prehistoric person. Uh, the best shelter you've got is probably a cave. Um, but then, of course, you yeah. also have the idea of like a cave, a big, dark, possibly damp um, opening within the earth from which you can you can go into it for safety and then emerge back out into the world i mean it, it's just, it's symbolism for like birth um so caves were uh, definitely associated with the goddess um that you know oh man there's this whole section that merlin goes into about um like the oracle of delphi too where it's talking about how like you've got like the imagery of going down into the underworld and the snakes uh snakes live in the underground as well as the uh top side and um you know there's a lot of oracles or um not just like greek oracles but there were a lot of uh cultures that worshipped um <clears throat> this goddess figure in connection with snakes that also became um they would go to them for advice or um not fortune telling but like for, for to to augur the stars and to know where to go and what to do um and in fact the oracle of delphi if i'm not mistaken also had a history of having like these noxious gases that would come out that make you kind mm -hmm. of loopy yeah. so um so there's that um which um oh, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself but uh, remind me of that when we get back into the discussion of like uh astarta uh and the replacement with Elohim. yeah, yeah. we're getting yeah, I get into yeah. That yeah we're we're definitely getting there because i think that's that's pretty much the crux of the book really yes. the, a yes. lot of it is that in the first few chapters is her just kind of laying the the historical background and the idea that you know that the goddess in at least prehistory was worshipped more widely it seems would have been more worshipped more widely than um than in later times later ancient oh, and world. also and also the goddess was um in many cases worshipped as the sun goddess right and it wasn't until later mm -hmm. that she was replaced and like i guess demoted as um as a lesser goddess either the earth or the moon or something like that and then a male deity was placed as the sun god right yeah. um which i thought was incredibly interesting i i had i'd never heard that before but then she lays out all this evidence <laughs> like the first third to almost half of this book is just i gotta be honest with you it was a slog it was hard to get through yeah. because yeah, it's it just a whole it, bunch yeah. of records and 
maps and uh, like it, it doesn't make a lot of conclusions. It's just the first large chunk of this book is just slogging through the facts, which I appreciate, but it's, it's a very dry read. <laughs> yeah. And we, it, it, we get to like Sumeria. So we get to the first, you know, the first ancient culture, mm-hmm. um, the ancient first ancient historical culture, which would be Sumeria essentially. Um, Sumeria and Egypt are kind of around the same time. But Sumeria is generally considered to be first. And then you've got but and you've got there much more goddess-oriented worship. Like you've, I think Inanna mm-hmm. is one of is one of the goddesses that is worshipped mm-hmm. there. There is a pantheon. So you do see male gods, you, uh, you, you know, de- male deities in right. They're like these pantheons. Usually, right. right. That's yeah, that's is what she says. Yeah. They're like consorts or her child, or, or sometimes uh-huh. uh, right. which you know, it's a lot of gods and goddesses and ancient worships had a lot of weird, like, you're my son, also, you're my lover, you know, <laughs> like it's weird, mm-hmm. but you mm-hmm. know, um, uh, so there was a lot of that, but it's it's interesting how a lot of those different cultures had very similar stories just with different gods' names, and a lot of them kind of sound similar, so you do you do see how the different cultures probably shared some ideas about, oh, your god, your, you know, your goddess um, takes the moon as the lover, and then they um, shoot out a baby. Oh, well, mine, uh, my goddess takes the moon as a lover and then comes down to earth to have a party. Uh, but yeah, that sounds cool. I think I'm going to change my story to sound like yours. You know, <laughs> like, I think... <laughs> There was probably a lot of that kind of what's it called synchronization kind of going on right, where right. cultures were overlapping through trade routes and just, you know, migration. And they probably shared a lot of things like that. So you end up with some cultures where their gods and goddesses all have very similar sounding names with lots of the same elements. Yeah, like I think you talk about like what like for example, um in Egyptian mythology, I mean you have Isis. Uh-huh. and she is the wife but also kind of more i guess her and osiris are equal to each other uh, yeah I think, am i not mistaken aren't they brother and sister i think also? they are yeah they are yeah. yeah they are and then she you know the whole thing with him getting dismembered and uh-huh. that whole thing and then she has horus who is the son so you've got you know you've got her, her consort and then the son so that's so that's, I think, a good example of what you're talking about with, mm-hmm. uh, with, with like this kind of like ancient Near Eastern mythologies. Mm-hmm. We we should add in something in here too, um, so, which is we're talking about the ancient Near East, is kind of about um, the. There's an interesting chapter, the the sacred sexual customs. That's a chapter right. that she has in here. Yeah. And I think that this is kind of important to understand uh, how some of these cultures, well, first of all, how they viewed the goddess, but second of all, how they viewed, how they also viewed sex as like a, almost like a religious rite in and of itself. Uh, yeah. So like <clears throat> the um, the sexual rites of the temple. So there's some, I thought that was interesting how in the Bible, these these women who were the priestesses 
um, kind of got translated into whores, like biblical, I mean, like, like temple prostitutes and the sexual acts that they would do there were um, seen as a kind of um, dirty thing when it may not even been at all that they were engaging in sexual acts explicitly, or it may have been done as a kind of worship. Also, I thought was very interesting is that, you know, Merlin talks about how in in older archaeologists' writings, when they would talk about the discovery of certain things, they would always refer to like male-centric worshiping systems as religions, but women-centric worshiping systems as cults. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was very interesting mm -hmm. and i've never noticed that before but it is very common and i think it's still usually um in scholarly works you still kind of see that today yeah i suppose that is true yeah that is an inter interesting concept well these are like the well they i mean the idea that like this was called they were called temple prostitutes mm -hmm. but the but that prostitution, the 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 label prostitution, may be something that is pejorative and that was put onto these women by later authors. Yes. Yeah, they may not have even been understood in that same kind of context by the people at those yeah. those times. I mean, probably not. Um, it, certainly, with our connotations of prostitution, which I mean, I'm I'm very pro sex work positive, um, but I know a lot of people are not. Um, and in vast majority of media, it is not. Uh, it is meant as a derogatory term. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk. We'll so just to make that point, we'll we'll get to some of the reasons of why that is here in a little bit. But just to kind of talk about uh, the Indo-European um, immigration, which does she explicitly? call them indo-europeans or does it more that she says like these are like invaders from the north because i i felt like when i was reading it she doesn't really mention i don't know if she mentions that that word but she says that where they I mean, came from and you, yeah right. and you make the yeah yeah maps are always helpful usually, yeah i don't think she actually calls them indo-europeans uh she talks about where they probably came from but also remember um the, it came in waves. It wasn't just like one single event. This this happened happened over like one thousand to three thousand years of just wave after wave of different peoples coming from this basic area right. down into the south from across the Caucasus Mountains and things like that. So it wasn't just one group of people who are like, all right, well, let's get our chariots ready. We're going to go invade the south, and you know, with our big penis god so let's go and that's not what it was like it was definitely a um um over very long period of time and so that's yeah. probably also why you have how those different groups kind of went into different areas uh, also remember this is about the time of the bronze age collapse so it was chaos the bronze age collapse probably also really helped destabilize everything that made it easier for these people uh, for these different peoples to come from other areas. I mean, you had people moving all over the place during the Bronze Age collapse, right? So it was probably a whole lot easier to topple um, governments and countries and take over the place. 
Yeah, there was there was a couple of groups, I think, of Indo-Europeans of the ancient world. I mean, the Hittites was probably like the main one. They were considered to be Indo-Europeans. Yeah. And they were a little bit before the, the Bronze Age collapse, but there was another one, I think the Kassites. I think they were a, a Indo-European group that was actually took over Babylon at one point. Mm-hmm. But she makes the point that these all these different groups they bring more of the idea of the male deity at least as far as we're talking about like the ancient near east right so the male deity so merlin stone's book you know when god was a woman is not the only place i've heard this theory which lends it more credence to me because as um that work has aged more work has come out in support of this supposition that the the god that we know of as yahweh actually uh came from these groups and supplanted a lot of the goddess worship um that we know uh from archaeological evidence um and probably came from these indo-european groups um and that's it was, you know, Yahweh was this sky god, and in some in some places, it kind of got kind of like syncretized with like this volcano god, because like the storms that would arise and erupt from the tops of volcanoes, when a big eruption happens, like oftentimes the electrical um, conductivity of the cloud creates like storms and stuff. Anyway, that's another theory I'd heard. I don't think that's in Merlin Stone's book, but like the volcano storm god kind of gets syncretized with the the Yahweh storm god. Um, anyway, so this god who rides the clouds, they bring that with them as they kind of conquer more southern areas. Yahweh, from what we can tell from these earlier beliefs about Yahweh before, you know, before he makes his big debut in the Bible, um, he was a very much a conquering god. He was very warlike. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally, totally side, you know, I'm branching off here for a second, but that's, that's to... totally fine. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that reminds me, that was another thing that really irked me about the documentary. <laughs> because some of these, <laughs> some of these documentaries failed to mention that some of these goddesses uh, were also goddesses of war. <laughs> um, that's, the documentary... that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tried to make it out like, oh, the goddess is so, and, and I'm trying to do the impression of the woman narrating, and I'm being totally rude about it. <laughs> it really, I hated it. Um, but oh, the goddess, the goddess <laughs> was a flowery fertility goddess, and she was peaceful, and everyone who believed and worshipped her was living in a utopia with unicorns and rainbows and. Um, everyone sang kumbaya and loved everyone else and braided each other's hair and like that's not at all what all the goddess figures were like and to try to paint it as sure. that i think does a disservice yeah um, i mean how how do you explain something like kali i mean you know that's <laughs> right. i mean you know there was they, they they must not have seen temple of doom i mean you know <laughs> Right. So it, that was just a, I had to throw that in there because it just it made me think of that. But yeah, so Yahweh was this conquering warlike God. 
who rode the clouds and had his thunderbolts and spoke from clouds uh, and from the tops of mountains. And here he and his people come down to um, pick up this power vacuum that had started to come about in in the Near East uh, and the Arabic, uh, what we now know as Arabic cultures and like Anatolia, which is now Turkey. So all these areas were invaded. Um, or maybe they just migrated there peacefully, but probably not. I mean, their god was a war god, um, and they came with their much better technology of, you know, the double-headed axe and um, horse and carriage, like chariots and wagons and stuff. Like they they had uh, they had a much better war technology than a lot of the people they were conquering. So it was very easy for them to come in and take over the place. Yeah, their peace. With their penis gone. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, so I mean, we're talking about things like um, gods like Indra and Mithras. And uh, later on, you know, even for the Greeks like Zeus. I mean, Zeus would be kind of a later... Uh, uh, their later ver- later version for the Greeks, but the Greeks were Indo-European. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, this is a the, the the movement into India. You know, I mean, they're you're right. I mean, it was mostly like it was mostly a warlike kind of a warlike culture. Oh yeah. Oh man, and in India. Okay, so like, oh man, and I don't know enough about like Indian history um, and religions. Um, but the thing that I remembered from the book was how it was talking about how the a lot of the words um, that we know today for the different um, deities and demons and things like that mean things like light skinned and dark skinned and like at their core, mm-hmm. which was incredibly telling because uh, the people that were invading from the northern areas were lighter skinned and they took over and set up this caste system and right right behold the demons were all dark-skinned people gosh it's almost like the worst parts of the world are because of racism but what do i know um yeah one group imposing onto another yeah that's what was going definitely what was going on so i really want to say to like there's a process that she's talking about in this book so we start with the mother goddess that overarching goddess religion of prehistory and we move Mm -hmm. into the ancient world and we move into agriculture rise of cities civilizations we still have the goddess in a very very prominent role Mm -hmm. and the goddess uh if there is a god with her, he is usually a consort to the goddess, not the other way right. around. She right. makes that point kind of repeatedly. And this is in the in Sumeria and somewhat in Egypt and in, in these areas. Mm-hmm. And 
then there you had this northern invasion the indo-europeans however long this process took you've got this real kind of like equalization between the god and the goddesses mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're like on an equal footing to each other so right. it's like it's like this is a process that is happening over thousands of years right and then she describes the process where the god becomes superior to the goddess right yeah so after this process really starts taking hold you see um cultural subversion of the goddess figure as um as now she's the consort to the male deity right um she is often sometimes replaced as the sun deity by this male figure and um if she if she's even honored at all in some of these cultures and some of these religious experiences um and in systems she is um actually killed by the male deity um and you can see vestiges of that in all sorts of different mythologies and religious um religious systems um you know the tiamat being slain um the leviathan being slain uh mm -hmm. um i'm at a loss here but I, she merlin stone lists like probably 20 of these right so those figures um if they are still given a place of worship uh they are kind of a diminutive to the male uh but in many cases they were just outright murdered <laughs> in 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 the new religions yeah but but there's still a place for them i think is what she's saying that there's still a, that there's still a place for the goddess religion it wasn't completely done away with at all it was just in its right. uh, it was a kind of it's in a separate it was its separate world maybe mm -hmm. like the men have their gods and the go the women have their goddesses you know that that's kind of right it, it didn't represent there was a bifurcation that didn't represent it represent all humans at the same time right is that I a mean, right assessment yeah i mean and uh, that's i mean the indo-europeans weren't the only ones to have a hard time converting people to their male deity but then just saying okay well you're really into this deity that you've been worshiping for worshiping for forever so i guess you can keep it we're just gonna change it a little bit for you like that's yeah. happened more mm -hmm. than once <laughs> right that's true that's a good point so then we get to the ancient israelite religion mm. and this is this i really i think is the crux of the book and i think this is really why she titled it when god was a woman right because what she's really talking about is specifically more the ancient Israelite religion and how it really, in a lot of ways, starts off not just with God, but there is a goddess there as well. Yes. This was like, chapter five, I think it was. But yeah, this was the really the meatiest part of the book for me, um, where I really had to reread passages several times lots of highlighted sections it's it's important to remember that israel was first a social group not an ethnic group and what we think of as the tribes of israel um were not necessarily bound by blood 
but were rather picked up as they nomadically traveled or as they, you know, conquered different areas and um, maybe some people decided to join, you know, hey, you know, I don't mind that you want to chop off a bit of my penis. I'll join up to this club. Sure. Why not? So like you would have these different groups that would join um, and would be kind of grouped under one of the already existing tribes or would, you know, a new tribe would be formed. And what we now know is, you know, the, the tribes of Israel weren't necessarily um, like all the 12 brothers and they each had their families. It wasn't just their families. It was other groups of people who joined the, the collective as well. So one of those groups, uh, which I thought was interesting was the um, Merlin makes a case that what we know as the Levites or the tribe of Levi, some of them were the, some, the priest class from some of these um, different Indo-European communities that came down, uh, namely the, I think she said it's called the, the Luvians or the Luvites. And she right. makes a very strong argument though I haven't heard it anywhere else or any other supporting scholarship. So take that for what it is. But it's a very compelling argument that the these Luvians, these Luvites, um, were, in fact, the priestly caste, the priestly group, the Levites. And they are the ones who made a lot of these rules about, oh, we can't have this goddess figure here anymore. We don't like this. We like our god. Um, which by the way, um, there's a podcast or not a podcast, a YouTube channel called Esoterica. And, he, uh, the guy who runs that channel yeah. does an excellent job of breaking, um, breaking down the, the history of Yahweh, uh, and how Yahweh and L kind of like mixed to become the same God. I thought it was an excellent breakdown of that. It's like a 20 minute video. It's very good. Um, props to that. Um, but yeah. So like you, you would have these, um, this, this priest class, class come in and they don't work and they eat stuff that gets um, donated to the temple and they need stuff to be donated to their particular temple and they can't have stuff being donated to the goddess over there. They need stuff for themselves and um, they also need to control. They also need power. And so um, it's when these, this particular group comes on the scene that you see a lot of the codification of how El or Yahweh should be worshipped and how, um, how, you know, God's wife or um, the female deity should not be worshipped anymore. And um, let's see, Asherah, I think, was the most common version of her name at the time, if I'm not mistaken, was it Asherah? Yeah, sometimes it's I think translated as Astaroth. I think, but um, I think that has to do with the um, and I don't know Hebrew, so I'm just going off my memory here. But I think that was because her name was changed to add a uh, a suffix that meant shame, okay, or something like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so like the Asherah um was a term that was both for the goddess and for um the tree pole worship item that that was used to worship her um in her temple 
So you have, um, you know, you have, there was a, there was a tree that was kept at the altar of her temples that was communally shared. There was usually like fruit on it. Um, you have, um, the, this group who want to reinforce their religious claims. Um, so they kind of rewrote religious histories where the female deity was either outright conquered or, you know, in the case of Israel wrote her as being a figure made out of man, instead of woman being the creator deity. Now woman is an afterthought made from the rib of a man. Um, and oh, you can't trust her either. So you, so instead of people who would be going to these temples to be getting oracular wisdom from the priestesses of Asherah, um, now you can't trust Asherah and her snakes and her tree because remember, Eve tried to share some fruit from her tree, and mm. by golly, that's how we had the fall. So you can't you can't go trust in those women. You can't go trust in her tree or her fruit. Um, so. Uh, the oracular snakes became a symbol of bad advice. Uh, it's uh, in a world where female deities were asked for advice. Usually this is a crucial way to eradicate her worship. <clears throat> and um, I feel like that was the strongest argument in, I mean, that whole buildup that Merlin did to explaining all these different cultures and their goddesses and their hallmarks of worship and to kind of like boil it down in chapter five to, well, here's what happened when, when these people in power got a hold of, um, worship with their God. And I'm kind of like rambling at this point, but like, God, when you really think about the way history has changed the way, and I know we've, we've, fourth wave feminism here we are in 2023 i have got it pretty darn good um but we still have we still have women in this country at least one in four of them are are sexually assaulted in their lifetime and it's hard to not look back at the way women have been treated historically since those early days. And I don't know what it was like. It may have been all rainbows and unicorns like that documentary would have us believe. I probably not, but um, <laughs> but we went from goddess worship to one in four. That's, that's where we went. Uh, I, I have a lot of feels about it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's everything. All that stuff is still a very serious problem. Yeah, and it, it is. And it, and it is based in I mean, it really is based in the whole idea of like, of, of, of kind of patriarchy, really, which I mean, is based I, in all this. I mean, I grew up, I grew up in the church yeah. uh, and I, I have amazing parents who, um, who, even though they put me in Christian schools and they took me to church and we did the Sundays and the Sunday nights and the Wednesday nights and the choir practice and, you know vacation Bible school and all that. And I'm glad that I had a lot of those experiences, uh, but they were very progressive. <laughs> uh, they were very much like, look, you're going to hear some things at church. Um, yeah. But just know yeah. that that's not the only way to view God. And my dad, my parents were both very good about helping, giving me a safe place to question things. 
Right. But I will also tell you that I spent a lot of my time in those places, not at home with my very loving, uh, progressive um, Christian parents, but with the very fundamentalist Christians that I was going to school with and going to church with and vacation Bible school with. My parents weren't the ones who were teaching those classes, but fundamentalist people were. And I grew up believing that God was this very angry man who lived in the sky, who had a clipboard, and he was just checking, just checking off <laughs> everything that I was doing wrong. And women were not to be trusted. You know, suffer not a woman to speak. And uh, women can't be pastors. And, you know, uh, it, it was a very interesting experience. And to be taught that women, you know, women were the ones who were tempted, by the way. So, you know, we are supposed to be the helpmates for Adam. We, we as women, we as women should be the helpers. And there's an umbrella. You know, it's God. And then underneath God is Jesus. And underneath Jesus is the husband. And then underneath the husband is the wife. And you can't question the husband. And you must always do what the husband says. And that's a whole bunch of bullshit. And that was being taught when I was in school. <laughs> Not at all of my schools, but some of them. I want to explore just a little bit of this and, and, yeah, and, and not necessarily from, not necessarily from the book, but it does. It's interesting because uh, did you hear, I mean, I, I think you heard my interview with Gary Stevens uh, mm -hmm. who did the history in the Bible podcast. Mm -hmm. And he actually, you know, I mean, he actually talked a little bit about this somewhat, um, the idea that not necessarily the idea of the goddess really, but, uh, but he hit on some of like the development of, of where scholars are now of where they think the ancient Israelite religion really kind of came from. And, you know, what is general belief now is that instead of being against the Canaanites, they were probably were the Canaanites and it would, and you had um, this kind of mythical kingdom of David and Solomon, which I don't know if I necessarily agree with, mm -hmm. but, but the, 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 the historical record goes to the point where, okay, we know for sure that there was a kingdom of Israel. There was a kingdom of Judah Right, and it seemed like the kingdom of Israel was much more, much more worshipped. This kind of like dual kind of god, the the god and the goddess, and you mm -hmm. can kind of glean that from Chronicles and Kings and about Ahab and Jezebel and all this, uh, all these biblical stories. Right, and then you have the destruction of Israel. And there's a more kind of much more monotheist group that escapes there, goes to Judah and begins to kind of purge Judah of all these type of things. Mm -hmm. But even remember in the Bible, there is, uh, there would be these Kings that would, they found favor with God and then they would <laughs> yeah. die and their son would literally turn back to the old worship. He'd go worship Baal. He'd go worship mm -hmm. Astaroth, which is who, which is kind of what we're talking about. And then under Josiah, they, lo and behold, they find the book of Deuteronomy. Look coincidentally. what we found in and, this wall that we were <laughs> tearing yes. down. 
and, and then it really becomes really codified. Right. And but then you have the interruption of the Babylonian captivity. And then really when they get back, that's when what we know as Judaism really begins. And of course, that's the basis for Christianity. Right. It's the basis for Islam. It's basically the basis of Western and Eastern monotheistic religion. Right. So, you know, that's just kind of like, that's how as I understood it from where he is, from what he's observed and some of the scholars that he's read about that he's put into his podcast. So shout out to Gary for doing some excellent work. Excellent work. But, yeah, that was, um, good, that was a good one. Yeah, and I hope, you know, go back and listen to that, guys. That's a very good, that's a very good podcast. You will learn a lot. But... <laughs> It reminds me a lot of uh, now, and I mentioned this to you uh, when we were talking before, I have not read this book, but I did listen to an interview about it, and it seems to get into a lot of this. It's called uh, When God Had a Wife, right? Um, which is by um, Lynn Picknett and Clive yeah. Prince. Yeah. That one's yeah. very good mm-hmm. uh, from the interview that I heard with the the author's. Yeah, um, I think I have that. I think I have that book, or I think I have a book. No, no, I don't have that book. <laughs> I had to think about it, but I have like a couple of their books. I didn't know if I had that one or not. I think that's Wait, more of a recent one. Totally off topic is that black and white book behind you? Is that Crowley? Who is that behind you on the shelf? Uh, never mind. Maybe it's. Not. I think. I think that's the. I think you're talking about the secret teachings of all ages the manly p hall book oh okay that's that's what i'm saying yeah Yeah. sorry your screen is really tiny i'm sorry (laughs) but yeah so that's an excellent book um uh when god had a wife i'm I'm looking forward to reading it i know that robert graves wrote a book called the white goddess that i have never read and i don't know anything about it but a lot of people really really uh point to that one as a good one uh, for understanding a lot of this goddess culture um, from mm-hmm. prehistoric times, mm-hmm. but it, it is also very old. So I don't know how much the scholarship holds up. Um, well, Grace was quite the mythologist. I mean, he understood a lot of this material, and yeah, and I know that 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 that's the beginning of a lot of this kind of um, kind of material, but. It does seem that there was this this goddess worship, and as we said before, there were these temple pro- quote unquote temple prostitutes. There was this this kind of more. Uh, it was the, the sexual rites and these things that went on in these ancient Near Eastern religions, and the as they were with most things, the ancient Israelites radically rejected all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had to uh, because the the new the new laws um, they they had. I mean, in some cases, you see it in the Bible uh, in in pretty clear writing where um, Asherah and her worshippers are driven out or just outright murdered. Um, anyone who even so much as has one of the items of worship in their homes uh, were were driven out or killed. Um, so 
that's a pretty that's a pretty good way to kill worship of 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 someone is to start murdering their worshipers so it was uh, i i think in the esoterica um video that i mentioned he goes yeah. into how the name uh ashra uh and the names of a lot of these gods and goddesses that had been previously had been worshipped um had like a, a suffix put onto their name um ashtoreth uh instead of asherah and 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 so forth and so on um which meant shameful and so all the things associated with them became shameful and dirty and unclean and um so even speaking about them was was done in um a very um dirty kind of way right we should say too that some of these even though names have even come down into like ritual magic like they mm. don't even think about the roots of these things a lot of that's even that's even like the name Astaroth. that's her name in ritual magic oh yeah oh man yeah. It's ritual magic like it really it really makes you think about I don't know how how much you know about like Thelema, or I don't even know if I'm saying it right. I mean, I'm not a worshiper of, I'm not a believer in Thelema. I don't I don't practice Thelema. There, that's the phrase I want. I'm not a practitioner, practitioner, practitioner of Thelema. Yeah. Uh, Neither but, am I. I know. I know. I'd but I know really a lot of it less, has but... to do with like, um, you know, the tree, the Kabbalistic tree of life, and um, the idea of the Yod Hey Vahe you know, the Yahweh, uh, as kind of like the groundwork for how the whole universe is formed. It really makes you think about a lot of that stuff, how these ideas are now being built off of systems that were brought in to replace goddess worshiping systems. I know old uncle Al, you know, Alistair Crowley, he, he kind of felt like, you know, there was the time, the aeon of the divine feminine and then there was the aeon of the divine masculine and now yeah. we should be in the aeon of horus mm -hmm. um one wonders what comes after that maybe if i were a practitioner i would know just do what thou <laughs> will and there'll be the that's the whole thing hmm? do what thou will and that's the uh, whole yeah, thing do what thou yeah, yeah that's, you that, know that is the whole of the thing <laughs> the but you know uh i'll be, on, be honest and you know I've, I've said this before to you is that like there was crowley was a real shit to women yes he was yes he his sure was. his his babylons and his scarlet women that he had in his life that he you know one of that that he left in india with his child with his child and you know how many other ones did he abuse you know just, just i'm just putting <laughs> that out there <laughs> and it's interesting that you would put that out there today of all days um today here we are recording on the 21st of march um mm -hmm. which um is the um the new year celebration i think of the the equinox of the gods i believe and was the the day that um rose kelly crowley's partner at the time or wife i mean i don't know if they were married yet or not i don't know a lot of the history but I, this is when she started channeling for 
um they were on the, their honeymoon the wall right yeah, yeah it wasn't it the, the law that was written now yeah yep. so it wouldn't have happened without her, her the scarlet woman and that's today so happy equinox guys that's right that's right <laughs> well it just kind of like to kind of wrap things up a little bit um do we see the goddess religion do we see that do we see it coming back in a lot of ways it didn't it didn't completely go away um mm -hmm. it morphed into different ways of worshiping the feminine and um certainly there's a number of books that would support that claim even within christianity i mean doesn't that make you wonder about like marian apparitions like it makes me wonder about marian apparitions uh sure. you know the, absolutely the black, it does the black madonnas of um like france in particular but you know any kind of like the celtic regions where you know the peoples moved from anatolia farther west and took their 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 black meteor stone goddess worshiping you know statues with them um and you know if the folklore is to be believed uh when those places became heavily christianized um and would not give up their statues and their items of worship but the, the catholic church said okay you can keep it just put it in a dress and a crown and uh she's mary now um it it makes you wonder about stuff like that i i think that there is obviously i mean anybody that's walked into a metaphysical shop would be blind to not see it but there is quite clearly a resurgence of goddess worship and, and certainly um getting back to those roots i mean the the lord and lady of um gardenian um wicca um mm -hmm. another pal of old uncle al that whole system of worship is um is based around kind of bringing back the goddess into worship and then there's some uh forms of wicca that that only worship the lady um and um not just with wicca but with lots of different resurgent pagan uh rites that people have kind of been able to find each other over the internet and kind of rebuild interest in those things um with the access to the literal entire world uh we can kind of find each other and share our interests and uh, not just for hobbies but or porn but also for religious purposes and so um you know i think that you know she's always been around the goddess figure she's always been around she didn't go anywhere she just took on different visages and either because they were forced on her or because um people decided to find her in those ways i you know you you said that maybe we could kind of that maybe we should get into this on the show but like i'm a christian and i don't know what to do with this information <laughs> I don't know what to do with these these uh, histories about Yahweh and L syncretizing and oh look we found this extra writing about who God is and now we can't worship God like this it has to be like this like what do mm -hmm. we do with that I mm -hmm. don't know I 
I'm down with Jesus. Um, I definitely believe in the divine. I don't know how much, how much I, how much stock I put in a modern interpretation of a literal translation of the Bible. I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do yeah. with it. It seems like that's for like for another show. I know that's I, I think that <laughs> and actually, you know, um Zach Hunt uh has written a book uh kind of about that, about you know, what is what what is divine inspiration? What oh. does that actually mean? So that might be something I might have him get in touch back in touch with him and get him on the show. But like he, okay. you know, when you do get Dr. Future in on that, I want, I want to talk to Dr. Future about all this stuff. I want to know what he thinks about this. Does he know about this? Please tell me Dr. Future. What do I do with this? <laughs> you know, uh, you would really just have to ask him. <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't know how much, I mean, well, I've tried to kind of talk about some of the, some of the scholarship and, and some of this to him. And I mean, he'll give a whole really kind of different viewpoint. My, Mike tends to try to stay within the bounds of some, of some orthodoxy, but yeah. try to be more of a little, little more free thinking about it at the same time. He has a good heart. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't always agree with him, obviously, like theologically, but he has a really good heart and um, I'm always interested to hear what he has to say. Yeah. Um, but man, I'd love to pick his brain about this book. <laughs> like I want him to like sit here, read this book. Now talk to me about <laughs> it. <laughs> I don't know how hard, it, I don't know how hard it honestly is for me because you're honestly bombarded by so many things from so many different sides. And it's, a, I think it's okay for me to take the development of a religion and try to understand it. I don't think that that's too, um, that that's really impossible. I mean, really in the long run, I think it really helps you understand the contradictions that are within something like the Bible, which is not something that is homogenous, right? I mean, it's, uh -uh several different books that are put together by several different people. And even within the first five mm -hmm. books, they yeah. think that there's like four or five different sources historical yeah, I mean, that, that over, over historical time. Right. Poetry. And yeah, it's, an, so, I mean, look, it, it doesn't even take a whole bunch of like extra biblical scholarship to look at the Bible and see in the beginning, Clearly, there was a worship of, there was an understanding that there were several gods. And yeah. then you see that evolve into, okay, there are several gods, but this is our one God that we're going to worship. Yeah. And then you see that evolve into, okay, there are several gods, and this is the one that we're, we're going to worship, but also he happens to be the best one. And then mm -hmm. you see that evolve into, not only is he the best one, but he's the only one. And like you see this understanding of divinity evolve over time. And maybe some of that was forced onto these people by a different class of like priests or something. I don't know. 
But even if you don't want to look at all those extra biblical sources, you can see that evolution. And so to take uh, to lift out a portion of the Bible and say, ah, yes, this right here, this is theology and the rest of it all agrees with this. Like it doesn't, you can't do that. It do, that's not how this works. This is a, this is a, this is a long book that is a history of the evolution of how we understand divinity. And then, and I think that as a believer, I think that God is still trying to tell us how to understand divinity, whatever God is. I don't think it's just L. I don't think it's just Yahweh, but right. I think it's probably closest to Christ. Our understanding of who Christ was through the writings that still remain uh, is probably, that's probably the closest thing to God that we can understand. I mean, what do you do with all that? You just try your best to love people. <laughs> and and if you've got that part right, then you probably got the rest of it all right. And thank goodness, I don't think anybody has to have all their theology correct. Yeah, that's true. Well, this has been very, this has been a great conversation. Heather, I want to thank you for coming on to talk about when God was a woman and, uh, is there any uh, parting thoughts or also tell people, you know, I guess where they can find you and anything um, else that you might want to just promote? <laughs> so uh, I, I don't do a whole heck of a lot of anything other than uh, raise a kid and um, sculpt miniatures for role-playing games. Uh my husband and I are getting ready to try to release a Patreon in the next couple months for that. Uh, when I do, I'll be sure to throw it your way. Maybe I can pay you some money and you can put up a, put up a commercial for me, but it's justice games. Uh, we don't have a lot of presence on the internet yet. I think we have a very bare minimum Facebook page, but uh, we're going to start releasing some miniature sculpts for that. But in, in regards to, um, uh, more conspiranormal esque kind of stuff. Uh, I I do still give tarot readings. I've been at Conspiranormal's yep. uh, Strength Realities Conference, mm-hmm. uh, and I do still give tarot readings. If anyone is interested, um, that's at ask.shuffle.cut at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to um, to do a reading for you. Um, we got some. I got some prices that I can send you for that if you email me with a question um but yeah that's uh and i'm on facebook but don't contact me there (laughs) (laughs) all right awesome awesome guy uh heather you've been a really good supporter throughout the years i really appreciate you coming on i love Um, you adam you're the best love you as well uh guys uh surfiel is busy getting packed up to move to seattle and hopefully we'll get him back on here in a few weeks but uh, in the meantime, I hope you guys will enjoy the, the upcoming shows that we have. Just promotion, you guys, Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash conspiranormal. Come join the ancient order of strange realities and the mystic crew and all that. October, uh, it's October, my God, April 21st, we are going to be doing our first uh, online meetup, this time with uh, Travis Watson and... Uh, really curious to see what he's going to bring us 
and to promote some other things strange realities conference november 3rd through the 5th 3rd and the 4th at sar nashville the 5th online only come join us there and don't forget to subscribe it'll help us out just as well to nevaeh's nightmare on youtube if you don't know how to spell that that's uh heaven's spelled backwards as in the queen of heaven you see what i did there i see what you did there all right cool all right guys thanks for listening to conspiracy normal and next week i think we've got a guy come on to talk about how jesus wasn't real so i'm really gonna oh, okay. I'm on that one. That. <laughs> all right guys we'll talk to you soon <laughs>